All right? Shall we get into the Word of God? I know you're thinking, is it time for him to pray so we can leave? No. I'm just getting warmed up. Last week, we launched into a new sermon series called Satan's Favorite Lies and the Truth That Sets You Free. And, and really, it's the truth that sets you free part that I'm the most interested in, right? Uh, it's just a context in which we can talk about the truth of God's word that is most profound that guides us through daily parts of our lives. I was talking with someone this week about the fact that they had sort of grown up in a religious context and they had had, they had, had a lot of religion in their life but that they had never really understood that the Bible was available for everybody to read and that the Holy Spirit will teach us and guide us and direct us from his word. And they're just getting introduced to the Bible and it's blowing their mind. They're going, my goodness, it's incredible what God has to say in his word. Can anybody say amen to that? It's really so true. So what we want to do is go, hey, what are these foundational truths? Because Satan is throwing lies at us. Last week we saw this. We saw a couple of important things um, about Satan. And, and one of them is he's not fictional. He's real. And he's probably not like you imagine him. Uh, and, but the, the problem is that most people make one of two great mistakes when it comes to Satan. One is they give him way too much attention. I don't know if you know anybody like that. There's, there's a demon under every rock and behind every bush. Everything that happened, I stubbed my toe. It must have been an attack from the devil. I'm going to have to you know, fast and pray and cast things out of my house. We're going to have to, all of that kind of stuff. Satan, 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 Satan. Everything's about Satan. That's one extreme. The other extreme is to ignore Satan's existence altogether. Just, just assume that there's not a spiritual component to what's going on in my life. There's not any spiritual warfare taking place. Well, those are the two big mistakes. The Bible doesn't fall into either one of those two traps. So as always, what we're going to do is we're going to let the Word of God tell us what we need to know. So last week, as I said, we learned Satan's not a fictional character. But we also learned this. Greater is he that is within you than what? He that is in the world. That's good news, right? So we have to be aware of Satan. We have to recognize his tactics, but we do not have to be in fear of him if the Holy Spirit lives in our lives. So this morning, we're going to get right back into our Bibles. And guys, you know, whether you've got a, a physical Bible or a digital one or whatever, you are going to need your Bible this week. We are going to be in several different passages. You're going to find your way through. I always try to let you know where things are. We're going to start in the Gospel of John, which is in the New Testament, which is the second part of your Bible. And it comes after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the fourth book. And you're going to go to John chapter 8. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of introduce this to you. Uh, Jesus has been having these conversations with the spiritual leaders, the Jewish leaders of the day who are known as the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's been having these conversations with them and confronting them on some of the things that they are misunderstanding about God's word and about truth. And what's happening is there's some uh, animosity building. And the Pharisees are beginning to sort of mount a campaign against him and look for ways to make him look bad and distract people from following him. And so he's been having this conversation and he's been talking with them and several of them, it says, do not believe him. 
They simply don't believe in him. They don't believe what he's saying. They don't believe what he's selling. They're not buying at all, right? And so he's talking with them. And then it says that um, beginning at verse 31 of John chapter 8, it says this. So uh, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, right? So he's been arguing with these guys who don't believe in him. And out of that group, there are some who are coming to believe him. So he says to them, if you continue in what? My word, word, right? Let's begin there. If we're going to talk about truth and lies, we have to know where the source of truth is. He says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him. Now, the word they is not referring to the ones who believed him. It's referring to the ones he was already talking with. They interrupt, and they say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone, which, by the way... You know anything about the history of Israel? <laughs> They've been enslaved most of their history, right? But they seem to be confused. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? They're slaves to the Romans at the moment that they're saying this. How is it that you say you'll become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. There's that comment about his word again. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. He's saying, guess what, guys? We have different fathers. And he's going to build on that. Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you're seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the what? Truth. Truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. And have not, and not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. And here it is, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. As we said last week, This whole issue of spiritual warfare comes down to a battle between truth and lies. Satan is the father of lies. When he lies, he's just doing what comes naturally, Jesus says. Jesus, on the other hand, is the way and the truth and the life. So Satan is the father of lies. Jesus is the truth. That is a pretty clear contrast, right? One of Satan's favorite tactics is to lie, and one of his lies that is most favorite for him has to do with God. 
You see, Satan is committed to pushing one very serious lie on anybody who will swallow it. In fact, I'm convinced that all of the other lies Satan tells are really just modified versions of one lie. You believe that? The father of lies, it all comes down to one lie. Satan is effectively pursuing his whole diabolical mission to attack all that God loves by telling and retelling and retelling and retelling one lie over and over and over and over again in various forms. Now, let me show you what I'm talking about. If you're in the Gospel of John, you're just going to turn to the right. You'll find the book of Acts. After Acts is the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1, right at the beginning of the book of Romans. And again, we're going to be in a bunch of passages today, so get ready. And if you're a note taker, write down these notes and you can read these passages at home this week. Here we go. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So according to this passage, who is it who comes under God's wrath? It says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed for those who suppress the truth. Those who take the truth of God and suppress it, who push it down, who push it away, who ignore it, who deny it, who refuse to recognize it. Those who suppress the truth. Verse 21 says that when you do that, your foolish heart becomes more foolish. It's darkened. And you don't understand truth. The further you suppress the truth, the less you understand the truth. And you become what the Bible calls a fool. When they become futile, it says, in their speculations. We talked about that word last week. We saw this in 2 Corinthians 10. So you're going to leave your finger in Romans 1 because we're coming right back. But flip to the right. You're going to see 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 10. And we're going to pick it up and look at this passage again that we saw last week. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We're destroying what? Speculations. There's that word again. We're destroying these speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience 
of Christ. Romans 1 says that when you suppress the truth, when you ignore the truth, God makes this truth evident to you, it says. It says you're born with an understanding that there must be a God. Every one of us born with a hunger to know him, we're born that way. He gives that to us. It's part of being made in his image. And then he gives us all of creation, which is the best argument that could ever be made for the obvious existence of a creator. Look at the design of creation, and when you look at the nuance and the detail and the stars in the sky and the, and the microscopic DNA in your body and tell me there is no creator, there is no designer, you're just showing me that your foolish heart has been darkened. You're ignoring the truth that God has given. And when you ignore that truth, he says, it gets worse. And you start believing speculations You start coming up with ideas. Hey, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Maybe it could be explained this way. But anything that won't get us to God, that's what I want. And we begin to darken our foolish hearts with these speculations. And yet, it says that we can tear all of that down with the truth. Now get back to Romans 1. Romans 1, 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the f- uh, form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. He's giving us a description of what a fool looks like. He says you, your heart becomes darkened, you trust in speculations, and you become a fool. What does a fool look like? Well, to begin with, they, they exchange the glory of God, the creator, for that which has been created. And they begin to respect creation more than they respect the creator. And it says in verse um, 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 25 is really important. They exchanged the truth. That's what it says in verse 25. And in fact, back in verse 18 where we began, it also said that those who deny God suppress the truth, okay? So we have the truth mentioned twice. Not a truth, but the truth. He's talking about a specific truth, the truth that God is, the, the, the truth that God exists, the truth that we are accountable to God. That truth has been suppressed And when you do that to the truth, you become a fool. And when you become a fool, you believe the lie. Now, I know that some of your Bibles say the lie. We're in verse 25. For they exchange the truth of God for the lie. It might say a lie, and it might say the lie. Um, But in Greek, there is no question what it says. It says the lie. They exchanged the truth for the lie. It's a definite article in Greek. It means the, not a. Okay, you're like, wow, why are we picking apart articles? Makes all the difference in the world. We're not just talking about one of the many lies that Satan tells. We're talking about the lie. There's one lie. And it has all kinds of nuance and it has all kinds of angles to it. And he tells it in different ways to different people at different times. But the lie is always the same. There's one lie that Satan keeps telling over and over and over again. You want to know what it is? 
he tells us, you don't need God. That's the lie. You don't need God. He says, anything can be God. Anyone can be God. In fact, if you want to, you can even be God. And we hear that and we kind of shrug our shoulders and smirk and we go, no one thinks that. Oh, everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks that. The battle that is going on is between whether or not we're going to worship the one true God or whether or not we're going to worship ourselves. That's what it comes down to. In fact, let me just unpack this for you a little bit. This idea that anybody can be God and you don't need God is the lie that knocks us off course again and again. And I'm going to show you just two of the many examples of this, and they're both pretty familiar passages. Still in your New Testament, turn to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Go to Luke chapter 4. Now what's happening in Luke chapter four is Jesus' ministry is about to begin. He's been baptized now. We've been through the Christmas story and all of that that Luke gives us. And then Jesus has been baptized and after his baptism, he goes off into the wilderness and that's where we pick it up in Luke chapter four. Here's what it says. Jesus, and don't miss these next words, full of the Holy Spirit. This is not just some idea that he came up with and said, ah, I think I'm gonna go into the wilderness. No, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. The Spirit brought him into the wilderness. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. He's being tempted. He's being tempted in the time when his flesh is very weak. He's been in the wilderness. He has been without food for six weeks. And he's weak. And he's struggling because he's human. And Satan comes to him with this barrage of temptations. And, and it says in verse 13, the devil finished every temptation. And I don't know if that means that there's a whole lot more temptations that we're just not told about in the passage, or if that means that these are indicative of every category of temptation with which he tempts us. But either way, he's being barraged with this temptation. And in every case when he's tempted, what is he being tempted to do? He's being tempted to ignore the Father's commands and instead do what his flesh wants. You've been sent into the wilderness to fast? 
Make some bread. You're hungry. You should eat. There's no reason you shouldn't eat. I mean, why should you be out here? You have all this power. You could turn stones into bread. Make some bread and eat. And his response begins with these words. It is written. Where's it written? Come on, come on. Where's it written? It's written in a book that looks like this. It's written in the word of God. And by the way, Jesus wrote the word of God. (laughs) He's the inspiration for every word in this book. And it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He gets hit with another temptation. You can skip all, he's telling him, you can skip the cross. Do you realize that? I'll just give you earth. You can be in charge around here. You'll be a king, you'll be exalted. Everybody will bow down to you. Isn't that the whole point? You could skip the cross. And Jesus says, he will not do it. Why? Because it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then he tells him again, hey, I'm not sure you can really trust the Father. I mean, after all, it says, you know, you you could throw yourself down and the angels will grab you and protect you. I mean, do you really trust God? Is God really that trustworthy? Do you really think he'll do that? And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God, right? He answers the lies with the truth of God's word. Now, let me show you another example of this. And this one we glanced at last week. It's all the way to the front of your Bible in Genesis chapter three. And we glanced at this last week, but I want us to see something a little different this time. So we're gonna be in Genesis chapter three, beginning in verse one. Right at the front of your Bible, Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves Loin coverings. I don't have time to preach on this part, but isn't it interesting that the moment they disobey God, the moment they choose their own way, the moment they exalt themselves to be like God, that's the moment that shame enters their lives. Before that moment, there was no shame. Before that moment, there was no guilt. Before that moment, there was no death. And now the first thing they say is, I need to hide. They start hiding from one another and they start hiding from God. And the story goes downhill from there. But what was the lie? The lie was, first of all, I, I, okay, um, <laughs> first of all, notice the tactics. Notice the tactics. He begins by saying, has God said, hey, just a question, no danger here, just a question, has God said you can't eat from any of these trees? What a, 
What kind of a God puts you in the middle of a fruit garden and doesn't let you eat? She passes. She says, oh, no, no. God has not said we can't eat from any tree, just this one tree that's in the middle. But already she's getting confused because she says, we may not eat from it nor touch it or we'll die. Did God ever say you can't touch the tree? No. Now she's getting confused. This is Satan's tactic. He comes in gently. He comes in quietly. He starts to stir things up. And pretty soon you're not remembering what it is that God said. And that's how this works. And then he goes on and he just tells an outright lie. He says, you surely shall not die. And by the way, this is an absolute lie. All death has come from this moment. However, it's kind of a half truth, isn't it? Because they ate the whole fruit and did not die yet. They would have never died. If there had been no sin, there would have been no death. The wages of sin is death. And by the way, I'm so far off my notes. By the way, if, if in fact they had not eaten this fruit, there would have been no need to cover up. There would have been no shame. There would have been no hiding. But when God finds them and they're hiding and they're covering up and they've made fig leaves to cover themselves and it's not doing a good job and God has this confrontation with them, the first thing God does is kills an animal and makes the skin into clothing for the people. That is the first death in history. The wages of sin is death. And death continues from that point on. You surely shall not die, says the father of lies. God is trying to protect himself. He knows that if he can keep you duped, if he can keep you under his thumb, he can control you. But shouldn't you be free? Shouldn't you be your own person? Shouldn't you make your own decisions? Why should God control your life? You're not going to die. He's just trying to protect himself. You don't need God. That's the lie. And today, we see that lie told in some very common ways in our culture. Like, look out for number one. You're the most important person in your life, right? You're the most important person. You're the God of your own life. What's What's right for me is right for me. And if you don't like it, that's your problem. Because I decide what's right. Because I am my own God. How about this one? My feelings determine reality. What I feel is actually the truth. What is observable truth is not the truth. It is subject to what? My feelings. Why? Because I'm my own God, I am all I need. God is just trying to keep me from having fun. There are so many people whose view of the Bible, of course, they haven't read the Bible, but their view of the Bible is it's a list of rules that God gives us to keep life from having any joy in it. He's just trying to protect himself and keep us from having any fun. You should be your own God and ignore all of that stuff and do things your own way. That is the mantra of our society. Do things your own way. That's the lie. But here's the truth. And, and I have to give it to you in philosophical terms. The, the truth that combats that lie is that there are two categories of things in existence and only two. There are only two 
categories of things that exist. There is God and there is not God. God created everything that is not God. Those are the only two categories. There is God and there is not God. God is the creator, not God is the creation. God is eternal, not God is temporal. God is worthy of worship, not God, must not be worshiped, but exists in order to worship God and to point others to worship God. And Satan is totally committed to getting us to treat God as if he was not God and to treat not God as if it was God. It's really that simple. The truth is that only God is God. And the rest of it is not God. And guess which category you fit in? The one thing in all creation that Satan tries to get us to worship is ourselves. You don't need God. Be your own God. Be your own decision maker. Uh, uh, Make your own path. Do it your own way. Pride is at the foundation of every other sin. Pride. Because every time we choose to sin, we're choosing to play the role of God in our own lives at that moment. Any of you watch soap operas? Oh, you wouldn't raise your hand in church, right? No. So, already, more lies, more lies. <laughs> we, we all got our little secrets, don't we? So, so, you're like, I would never watch something like that. Um, all I know is, when I was um, a kid growing up, Every Monday through Friday for 50 years, my mother watched Days of Our Lives at noon. Every single day. And so it didn't matter if I was a little kid living at home or I'm a 40-year-old man coming to visit my mom for lunch, Days of Our Lives is on. And I'm blown away because it's been 22 years since I've seen an episode. It's the same bad guy and he's doing the same (laughs) things, right? But here's what happens in these soap operas that are on every day. Every now and then at the beginning of the episode, there'll be a thing that comes on the screen and it'll say, the role of Natasha is being played by so-and-so today. And then someone comes in and everybody's like, who's that? And then it takes you 10 minutes to go, oh my gosh, that's Natasha, right? Because they film every day and if Natasha's sick today, you gotta get somebody else. And it's usually like uh, a production assistant or somebody they pull in from an office and they go, you're in today, you're gonna play this role. And, and there's just something that doesn't fit. They're, they're, you're just, if you're watching it, if you're a fan of the show and you're like, that's not Natasha. It just doesn't fit. When you're playing a role that you're not supposed to play. Guys, you're not supposed to play the role of God. You're doing a terrible job. <laughs> a terrible job. And everybody that can see you knows. And you're just going, oh, I'm being a good God. I'll make my own choices. You're doing a terrible job. We're all doing a terrible job of trying to play God in our lives. But Satan keeps telling us this lie. And so for the hundredth time, I'm gonna make you sit through listening to me say this to you. This is very simple. There is a God and I'm not him. Maybe you should repeat after me. There is a God and I'm not him. Now look at somebody next to you and say, there is a God, and you're not him either. (laughs) That one's easier, isn't it? (laughs) 
guys, there is a God and we're not him. So when you put your own desires above God's clear direction for your life, you have stepped into the role of God. One of the most popular philosophical ideas of the 21st century is that moral truth is relative and subjective and everyone gets to decide their own. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. When I insist on being the arbiter and judge of truth, even for my own life, I'm believing the lie and I am playing the role of God. You see, he's telling us, you don't need God. And he couldn't possibly be more wrong. Satan, the father of lies, sits back and laughs at us because we've fallen into this trap. We've taken the bait. We've decided that we really don't need God. But here's the thing. You do need God. You do need God. Apart from him, you have no life. We don't have time to turn to these passages, but I'm gonna give them to you, write them in your notes. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 28, one of the key verses there says this. Speaking of God, in him we live and move and have our existence. That it tells us in that passage that he gives us breath. That apart from him giving us breath, we will not breathe our next breath. You don't have life apart from God. For me to be so arrogant as to think that somehow my own life depends on me is foolish speculation. You need God. Apart from God, you have no salvation. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves and not by works, but is a free gift of God, not by works lest anyone should boast. You couldn't have eternal life without God. You need God. Apart from God, your life would be fruitless. John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. And he goes on to say, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Our lives would be completely fruitless without God. You need God. Apart from God, you would not have any of your needs met. Philippians chapter four, verse 19 tells us, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Your needs are supplied by him. I could go on and on, but there's really no need. Even the most hardened atheist is aware that there is an end to his own power. And he will cry out to God when he comes to that point where he knows he can't help himself. And one day, as Philippians 2 tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've been consistently lied to. What do we do? I'm so glad you asked. Proverbs Chapter three, middle of your Bible, you find Psalms and Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter three, and I'm gonna close with this. Proverbs chapter three and verse five. What do we do when we live in a world run by the father of lies? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make 
your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What do we do when we're swimming in a cesspool of lies? We stop trusting in ourselves. We realize that we need Him. We turn to Him as our source of supply for every good thing that we need, and we submit our lives to Him. That's the only solution. We turn to the one who is the truth. We we turn to Him and admit that He is God, and we submit our lives to Him as Lord. And if you're here today and you're just trying to figure out this whole religion thing and is the Bible true and what am I supposed to do with God and all that kind of stuff, I'm so glad you're here because I want to wrap up by just telling you this. You're being lied to, just as we're all being lied to. But there is a God who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so there is a solution to all of this. You can actually have life. You can actually have hope. You can actually have purpose. You can actually have peace. You can actually have joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. But you have to be on the path that leads to Christ, that leads to God through Christ. There's only one way, he said. You have to come through me. And so my deepest, deepest pleading with anyone who has not yet submitted their lives to Christ, isn't it about time to admit that you're a lousy God and let him be the God that he is and meet your needs? I encourage you to do that. And if you need to know more about that, come and talk to me. Talk to any of the people you see on the platform. Talk to somebody who brought you. We can all help you to understand more about what that looks like. But if, you're, if you are a follower of Christ, I just want to remind you, we get lied to too. <laughs> We're not immune of these lies. We're constantly tempted to make ourselves our own God, to go our own way, to do things the way we want to do them, to feed our own flesh. And Jesus has taught us what to do. We are to cry out to God. Confession and repentance Admit our sin and turn from it. And God says, I will restore you to that narrow path. We don't have to keep stumbling like we've been stumbling. We don't have to keep falling like we've been falling. We can actually trust the one who loves us enough that he sent his son to die for us. We can confess our sin. We can repent, turn from our sin and trust him. You guys, there is a God and you're not him And you need him desperately. Let's stand and pray. Our Father, we come to you today humbled in your presence because we we didn't seek you, but you found us. We didn't even long for you, but you came for us. We We were sinking in the cesspool of our own sin and you rescued us. You sent your son to pay the price for our sin and there's nothing we could ever, ever do to earn that. It's a gift. We are so thankful, Lord. So thankful for your protection, for your grace, for your peace, and for the way you carry us. I pray you would help us, God. I know there are people right now who are thinking about work situations that are just drowning them. And I pray, God, that they would find their rest in you. 
Stop trying to do it all their own way. Stop trying to make it work. Stop trying to exalt themselves and push themselves ahead, even in the workplace, but to trust you with all their heart and not lean on their own understanding. Where there are families that are breaking up, where there's financial crisis, where there are health worries, where there is doubt and discouragement and despair, where there is depression and loneliness, God, I pray that you would draw our eyes upward from ourselves, that we would look into your wonderful face and that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. We give you all the praise and all the honor for you are God and we are not. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go be light to somebody.